What's up everybody? This is Pastor James and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We're moving on to chapter 19 and today's passage talks about an ugly word called divorce. And this is something that most people have at least some experience with within our culture. And usually the experience isn't very enjoyable. Uh, let's read and see what Jesus has to say on the topic. This is Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12. We'll read the whole passage and then we'll talk about it together. So, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from, be from the beginning God made them male and female, and that he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer one, no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. All right, well, let's talk about it. And we see that Jesus is on the move again, and now he's traveled to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. And large crowds are still following him. And this is evidence showing that Jesus' power and authority was not just limited to the region of Galilee, but it was beginning to extend beyond even to the surrounding areas. Now, these people in Judea experienced the healing power of Jesus, and we can assume that they believed. We know in Scripture that Every time Jesus healed, it's because people had faith, and any time that people didn't have faith, he wasn't able to do very many miracles because they lacked faith. Everywhere that the people had faith, Jesus was able to do amazing and mighty things. And so you got to remember that. Where there's faith, the power of Christ is, uh, is with you. And where there is no faith, the power of Christ is not available. It is so important for us to be able to give Jesus our complete and utter faith and trust him to work and move. And so we see that again in this in this passage. Now, as Jesus is healing these people, we have some pesky Pharisees that have popped back up and they try to trap him with more questions and these little things that just try to get Jesus in trouble. This time they bring up the issue of divorce and ask if a man can leave his wife for any reason. And apparently, uh, when you begin to read and do some background information on this, apparently divorce was a very uh, popular thing, but it was also a very controversial topic during the time of Jesus. Um, there were two main views on the topic that were offered by two prominent rabbis. Now, the first rabbi was Rabbi Shema who was very strict in his teachings, and obviously, usually the stricter teachers or the people with the strictest views are not the most popular, and so he was the less popular of the two. And uh, the second rabbi was Rabbi Hillel, who was more lenient in his teachings and was more, he was a more popular teacher on the subject of divorce. Now, during this time, 
it's it's important to understand that this is a confusing thing. Now, marriage was still a very sacred thing among the people of Israel, and it said that if a man was not married by the age of twenty, then he was using and he was not using his celibacy to study and focus on the law of God then he was actually breaking God's command to be fruitful and multiply, which was given to Noah whenever he left the, the ark and went out to repopulate the earth. It was said that by not having children, a young man was inevitably killing his own descendants and was hindering God's glory from being present on earth. That's pretty strenuous in my opinion but this was kind of the view of the day that a young man should be getting married and should be having children it was what they were supposed to do in the eyes of god so jews had a very high view of marriage it was something that they expected all of their young people to engage in was to engage in marriage but their view of women did not equal their view of marriage and you have to understand that during this time, a wife in this day was bought. She was acquired as any common item. She was bargained over, paid for. Uh, and a lot of times, you, you get what you pay for. And, and that's important to understand. Now, I'm not saying that in my opinion. Uh, I just want you to understand that during this time, if you had to purchase a wife... I mean, obviously, people with more money would have better choices in the wife that they could acquire, and people with less money would not have as many choices. And so, you know, you have to understand that even in the realms of marriage during this time, you would get what you were able to pay for. And if you paid for beauty, you got beauty. If you paid for a woman who was good, you got a woman who was good. If you didn't have a whole lot of money, you might be stuck with uh, women who could, didn't really have either one of those to offer. And uh, didn't mean she was a bad woman. It's just the way that women were viewed during this time was very differently than how we view women today. Um, you have to understand that the wife was just a little above the servants and the slaves. Not much more above, but just a little bit above. And as you can imagine, this created a lot of problems when it came to marriage. Because if marriage is holy and it's this incredibly important covenant with God and before men... But yet the woman that you're married to, you view her basically as just above the servants, or maybe you do view her as your servant, then marriage would technically still be a transactional relationship rather than a holy covenant before the Lord. So it's really weird how during this time marriage was very important, but at the same time it was also it did not carry the significance in their life because of their view of women. And so men were permitted to do a lot of things that they probably should not have been allowed to do because of the way that their culture worked during that time. So marriage can only be as important as the one to whom you are married. So if uh, you don't feel like you're married to somebody who's very important, your marriage isn't going to be very important. If the person that you're married to is the most important person in your life, marriage is going to be very important in your life. And during this time, most men did not view their wives as the most important people in their lives. So um, let's talk about this popular Rabbi Hillel. Uh, he taught that a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner, if she went out with unbound hair, if she spoke to another man in the streets, if she badmouthed the husband's parents, or if she was nagging and loud, or basically if the neighbors could hear her yelling 
Um, this was good reasons for divorce, according to his opinion. Now, you got to remember that Rabbi Hillel is the most popular rabbi teaching on divorce, and the common people accepted his teachings more than anyone else. So, basically, you have a bunch of men who are running around Israel during this time, and they're, they have the power to divorce their wives and do it in an accepting way, according to their religion, uh, for the simplest, stupidest things that you could possibly imagine. Now, that's my opinion, um, and I think most of you would probably share that opinion, that, uh, you know, I can't imagine that if my wife uh, spoiled my dinner, then I would have a good reason to divorce her. I mean, uh, it's funny. We, we joke about this all the time. My wife, Hannah, she's a great cook. She, she actually does really good cooking, but for whatever reason... Uh, anytime she cooks a meal and she cooks bread, whether it's like garlic bread or biscuits or rolls or, you know, cornbread or something like that, she has to be really careful because she has a tendency to forget about it and burn the bread. And it's the only thing that she really struggles with is bread, which is super easy, but she generally just kind of gets carried away with other stuff and forgets the bread and burns the bread. So I could have already divorced her many times over just for burning the bread at our dinners in our seven years of marriage so far. In my opinion, that's not a good reason to walk away from anyone whom you love and have made a covenant with before God. That's my opinion. But Rabbi Hillel taught that. And there was even a rabbi by the name of Akaba who taught that you could divorce your wife if you found one you liked better and considered more beautiful. And so you have to understand, you have religious teachers who are teaching in the synagogues, teaching in the places of worship, and they're telling their followers that you can divorce your wife for ruining your meal, or if you just find somebody that you think is prettier and you like better, you have every reason before the eyes of God to do this. Now, you have to remember that one of the reasons that John the Baptist was in prison and beheaded during this time, or previously because he's already gone now in our readings in the book of Matthew, he's already been beheaded, but uh, the reason why he was in prison was because he openly opposed Herod Herodias's affair with his wife because he basically he married his brother's wife and so divorce was a hot topic of the day and it was having a huge impact on Jewish culture as well it, it was a big issue of discussion there were people who were teaching on it there were a lot of different views now when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 it said suppose a man marries a woman but she does not please him Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. And this was a passage that everyone believed. Okay, This was a passage that, that no one questioned whether or not you could do this. The, the question in this passage was, what was something? What was the something that he found wrong with her? What defined something that could be grounds for divorce? And Hillel taught a very broad view of something. Basically, if it was the least little bit of something, you would have a reason, a, even a religious duty, to divorce them. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, that view of religious duty to divorce here in a minute. But Rabbi Shema, on the other hand, taught that sexual immorality was the only valid reason for divorce. That was only something 
that was the only something for him. So when you read Deuteronomy 24.1, it says that having discovered something wrong with her, basically the only something that could bring grounds for divorce would be unfaithfulness um, or being sexually immoral in, in being unfaithful. And so it's uh, pretty important for us to realize that there's two very different ends of the spectrum here. I mean, like we're we're on opposite ends of the spectrum with Shema and Hillel in their teachings. Uh, for Hillel, like I said, even burning your husband's breakfast was enough uh, of something to divorce his wife. And, and some rabbis even taught that a man with a bad wife uh, would not, and, and this was kind of funny, there were a lot of different sayings as I was reading up on this this week, but rabbis taught that a man with a bad wife would not face hell because he sins because he has already paid for his sins on earth due to his wife i mean this is some of the stuff that the rabbis were teaching during this day that basically if you had a bad wife and she made you miserable you wouldn't go to hell because you're experiencing hell on earth by being married to a terrible wife and it's and it's it's humorous in some ways and it's really heartbreaking in others because there were women who literally lived in this and were greatly affected by this, uh, by these terrible teachings. So the effort in trying to trap Jesus, let, let's kind of like go back. So we talked about some of the different teachings of the religious leaders, why divorce is a big deal. So let's talk about the reason why this is a possible trap to Jesus, okay? These religious leaders are trying to trap him. So let's talk about that. The effort in trying to trap Jesus was that if he sided with Hillel, then it proved that he didn't take the law of Moses seriously. Okay, All the religious leaders during the day knew Hillel was wrong in his teachings. And so if he sided with Hillel, then basically he didn't take the law of Moses seriously. The law of Moses did not give all those grounds for divorce. Hillel had, was, was misteaching the word of God. And while he was misteaching the word of God, he wasn't misteaching it in a way that brought about blasphemy or anything like that, so he wasn't punished for it. But he was so popular among the people by that time that it was really hard to do anything to him. So we know this would never happen. We know that Jesus would never not take the law of Moses seriously because it said that Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to abolish the law. I mean, he came to make the law of Moses true and just and applicable to people's lives. But if he sides with Shema, okay, and remember, we're talking about the reason why they're trying to trap him. So if Jesus sides with Shema, which is the unpopular teacher, what they're hoping is is that he will inevitably lose favor with the multitudes who favored the teachings of Hillel and was now following Jesus around. They were really trying to diminish his following or diminish his authority with siding with someone who was not teaching the actual law of Moses. So, now let's talk about Jesus' response because his response is such a beautiful portrayal of what is truly important and how to look at truth in Scripture. The Pharisees were more focused on the teachings and opinions of other rabbis. They couldn't even really look at the law of Moses. They were more focused on the different teachings from other rabbis. Jesus, on the other hand, is focused on reading and knowing the Scriptures. 
he understands God's word fully because he is God, but also he has devoted his entire physical life to reading and knowing God's word. Jesus focused on the teaching and the importance of marriage rather than the opinions on divorce. I want to say that again. Jesus focused on the teachings through Scripture and the importance of marriage through Scripture rather than the opinions on divorce. Jesus addresses this conflict in the only right way to address a spiritual conflict. He refers to the Scriptures. Moses wrote Genesis. I mean, Moses wrote the law. I mean, you, you talk about Deuteronomy and, and talk about the grounds for divorce, but you also have to remember that, that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote all those first five books. And Jesus refers to Moses, who was the go-to example of everything that they should believe. And Moses recorded the, the oral story of Adam and Eve for the first time. He wrote it down, and Adam and Eve being joined together was a permanent and eternal union. And you have to think about this because when Adam and Eve was married, okay, when God created Eve and he gave her to Adam and they were joined together as one flesh, there was no possible way for them to be divorced because there was no one else for them to be unfaithful with. There was no one else for them to leave each other for and go to be with. So when you look at marriage, the very first marriage, between Adam and Eve, it was an eternal union. And it was the example for what all marriages were supposed to be, that, that basically there's not an option to be unfaithful. Basically, there's not an option to leave and go be with someone else. Jesus really expected divorce to be removed from the equation unless there is unfaithfulness from one of the parties, and that is the only reason. So, when you look at the two rabbis, Hillel and Shema, Shema was actually teaching it according to the law of Moses and the way the scriptures read. But he was unpopular because people don't always like being told the right thing. They like being told things that line up with their uh, agenda and their opinions and stuff. So uh, Shema may not have been the most important, but he was the one teaching the word of God. And so Jesus is not siding with Shema. Jesus is siding with the law of Moses. And that's why he doesn't refer to Shema. He refers to Moses and his writings from Genesis all the way through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Jesus also talks about how a man would leave his father and mother to be united with his wife. And this is a big deal, too, because when you think about marriage, um, one of the Ten Commandments was to honor your father and mother. I mean, this is one of the most important things in your life for you to give honor to your mother and father. But when you look at marriage, God said when they're joined in one flesh, this is why a man will leave and forsake his mother and father to be joined and united with his wife. It's a calling from God to forsake your father and mother and cling to your wife. You separate yourself from that union with your mother and father to go and be with your wife for the rest of your life. There was never, and think about this, there's never a calling. There's never anything in scripture that says that we could ever forsake our wife and go back to our parents or forsake our wife and go to anything else. You know, to understand 
the the really important aspect of marriage is is that it is a covenant before God and God takes covenants very seriously. I'm reading in the book of Ezekiel right now and uh and it's super interesting because there the people of Israel were under attack and were about to be overtaken by Babylon and so the king of Israel had made a covenant with the king of Babylon to be loyal to him. But the king of Israel broke his covenant and went to make a treaty with Egypt in hopes that Egypt would come up and help them conquer Babylon. And the Lord told Ezekiel to rebuke the kings of Israel and the people because they had broken their covenant with Babylon. And so it's important to understand that God takes covenants and promises very seriously. We as people may think, oh, well, if we go back on our word, it's not a big deal. Guys, I want to tell you, if you tell somebody you're going to be somewhere and do something with them, even if it's the smallest, simplest thing, I'm telling you, just the simple ability to keep your word and be loyal to people you've already committed yourself to, even if it's just for a small moment, that's important. God takes making covenants and promises very seriously. And in this, you look at marriage. Marriage is one of the greatest covenants and promises we will ever make before God and to another person. And God takes this very seriously. So, the only grounds that's given for divorce according to Moses and according to Jesus is sexual immorality. Okay, unfaithfulness in a sexual way. And the whole concept of what what God has joined together, let no man separate unless sexual immorality takes place. And so the original Greek word, sunesuxin, okay, I'll say that again, sunesuxin is the original Greek word that meant join together, okay? This is the word that's, that God is saying, what God has joined together, sunesuxin. And so what God has joined together, it means that he is closely yoked or yoked together as oxen plowing a field together. And so it's very important to understand that in a marriage, both man and woman must pull, both man and woman must plow. The man may be the stronger uh, of the pair and he may be the leader. Um, in our culture and day and time, there are times where the women may be the stronger personality or may make more money or may have a little more influence in the marriage than what the man does. So understand that you are yoked together. In any yoking of oxen to plow a field, there was always one that was stronger and there was always one that was weaker and, and less experienced. And the stronger one was responsible for bringing along the, the, the younger one or the less experienced one. So, But understand, in your marriage, if you make that covenant before God, you are expected to plow with them. Okay, So if you join in and your spouse is the, the stronger one, you are expected to allow them to kind of pull you along and lead you where you should go. Now, if you are the stronger one and your spouse is the weaker one, whether it's man or woman, and you feel like your responsibility is to lead them, you cannot get frustrated with them and ex expect them to just be this leader whenever that's the position that God has put you in for whatever reason. You are called to lead that unexperienced person in plowing the field, to doing the task at hand, to living life and serving the Lord together 
as a united couple. Now, both have to put extreme effort into fulfilling their callings as husbands and wives. Just merely, Jesus merely suggests that divorcing your wife is inevitably undoing the word and miracle of God. So basically, like, if you ever divorce, then you are, you're really going against the word of God especially if it, there's no grounds for divorce, if there's no sexual immorality that's taking place. And that's the heart of sin. Jesus goes on to say how Moses merely did this to appease the men of his day and for God to allow this. And some rabbis thought that God permitted Moses to let the people divorce their wives, that it gave them a religious duty to divorce their wives. And I said we'd talk about that later. We're here now. That if she's unfit, then you have a religious duty to divorce her. But God never commanded divorce. He only permitted it. And in the midst of conversation, Jesus is revealing that the sin lies in the hardness of heart towards God's law and will rather than even the treatment toward women. And so you never see Jesus saying that you should man up and treat your wives better than what you're doing. He basically just refers it back to God's word. You know, your treatment of your wives is revealing how you are rebelling against God's word more than anything. And we all know that if we obey God's law like we should, then we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. Basically, we're going to love our wives as ourselves and sacrifice ourselves for them as Christ laid down his life for the church. Now, Jesus also identifies um, as something. Okay, remember we talked about if they find something wrong with them, this something, this, or this uncleanliness according to the, the version of Scripture that you're reading. Some versions say uncleanliness. And so people were always wondering, what does something mean? What does uncleanliness mean? Uh, what does sexual immorality mean? And, and this is only grounds that we have for divorce is sexual immorality. Well, the Greek word that we have translated sexual immorality from that was used in this original passage, is pornea, which is a very broad term covering a very wide span of sexual immorality. And so when you look at this, it's not just a matter of, okay, you can only divorce someone if they go out and have sex with someone else. The word pornea is a very broad term covering all kinds of sexual immorality. It would have been used to label... Um, many sexual acts and so like i just kind of trying to give you guys a good example of how we can take that is is if you um if you look at movie ratings or or you know tv show ratings today you might see like something that's rated r rated mature for sexual material and so and and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be something extremely vile but there might be like sexually suggestive humor, sexually suggestive scenes, sexually suggestive behavior. I mean, like, there could be all kinds of stuff that gives it those ratings, and, and it will say it's rated R, it's rated mature, because of sexual, uh, sexual material. And so, just understand, it's a very broad use of terms. So the Apostle Paul later on adds in that if you are, if you come to be a Christian and your spouse want, does not want to stay with you because you've become a Christian and they abandon you, then you can be divorced and go on and marry someone else and 
remarry and not live in sin because they have abandoned you. But Jesus uses pornea as the only reason that we should go by. And Paul opens it up later on for people who get left by their spouses uh, who don't want to stay with them because they have given their hearts to Christ. And now they can be uh, remarried again without feeling like they've sinned. So, guys, people who don't adhere to the Word of God and base their decisions of marriage and divorce uh, off of His commands um, inevitably commit adultery themselves. I mean, I mean, this is the big issue. We, we have to live our lives according to the Word of God. And people who don't adhere to the Word of God and uh, go through this, they're, they're inevitably committing adultery themselves. Marriage is a binding promise that not only made that we made to our spouses, but we made it to God and we made it to the world. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but we had a lot of people at our wedding that I made the promise to my wife before. And so uh, I made it in front of them, to them, to God, to my spouse, and that's, that's a big deal. It should never be broken uh, to accommodate our own desires or our changing circumstances. And so to finish up this discussion today, the disciples... Asked then is then it's better not to get married, and so they were kind of shocked, and they just had this revelation in their lives that man, it might be better not to get married now because of what you just said. And you got to remember that the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the rabbis, were teaching that if you didn't get married, then you were sinning because God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." And so now they're like, okay, well, is it better not to get married? They realize very quickly that Jesus' teaching was not a mindless thing to enter into. Like, what he was saying was not something that should be taken lightly. It was serious, and it was a lifelong commitment. This is not easy to accept, but it's easier not to be married, is what Jesus is saying. Paul talked about it, too. Jesus and Paul understood that so much more can be done in the name of the Lord and in the sake of the kingdom if you focus your life on the kingdom rather than on your wife and family. And and, and he goes on to say, whether you know, if you're born... As a eunuch, if you're born without the ability to, to be married and have children, or if you were made a eunuch, or if you were forced to be able not to marry, uh, whether you choose to or not, and, and then there's people who just choose this because they want to live for the kingdom of God. But whatever the reason is, there is a place for you in the kingdom to serve God and do it with your whole heart. Marriage is not something that should be taken lightly, and definitely not something that we should exit from lightly. For me, personally, as a pastor, I feel like my ministry to the church is better because of my wife. If I was single, I would have a lot more time to do things, do different things around the church. But being married helps me understand a lot more of what other people are going through in marriage. What they're going through with children. What they're going through in situations and circumstances in life. And so... Being married gives me the ability to understand and minister to the people in my church better than what I would have before. So for me personally, I think it benefits my ministry. For some people, it may hinder it. Now, one final thing as we close out today. Obviously, at Graham Chapel, we teach that marriage is a sacred covenant before God and that we should do everything within our power to uphold that commitment with our spouses. We are full supporters of that, full supporters of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the law of Moses. Okay, But I do want you to know that if you're listening in today 
and you've been divorced and you feel like, okay, now I feel like garbage because I've been divorced and now I've gone back on this and I guess now I'm an adulterer if I've been remarried, even though I didn't commit adultery in the you know the worldly sense. But now, according to Christ, if I've remarried, now I've committed adultery. Guys, I want you to know that we have many people at our church that have gone through divorce. As you can imagine, the circumstances are as different as the people are different that's involved in those situations. Many of them had gone through divorce before salvation, some before becoming a part of Graham Chapel, and some after being saved and after being a part of our church. What I do want to share with you today is that God's grace and mercy is sufficient. We teach God's way. We, we support God's way. We support His Word. But we do understand that we are people and we are not perfect. And marriage is an extremely difficult thing to make work, especially in our day and time when divorce is so common. When it takes two to make it work. And so you may be in a situation where you may be wanting, you may have wanted your best to make it work, but if the other other spouse didn't, you can't make them stay. And while we teach and support Christ's authority on this matter, we do offer the same grace, mercy, and forgiveness to anyone who has gone through the difficult experience of divorce. We don't want you to sin, but if you are remorseful, repentant, and humble in your sin, we are more than happy to offer love and support to anyone who's gone through this. And I just want to say again, just because you have gone through divorce doesn't mean that you have sinned. As I said earlier, it takes two people. Situations and circumstances are very different for each individual case. We don't point our finger and say, oh, you definitely live in sin. Oh, you definitely have committed adultery. We don't do that. Your sin is between you and the Lord. Our position is to teach the Word of God, to support people, and even when they have sinned, to lovingly bring them back into the grace and mercy and fellowship of Jesus Christ and with His fellow believers. So we want to support you. We want to honor you. We do believe that in our life that we should be humble and seeking God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And as long as we're able to do all those things we will be more than happy to accept you into the family of Graham Chapel, to the family of Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, anyone who seeks Jesus Christ and his healing is welcome to be a part of the Graham Chapel family. And that's what I want to close out with, and that's why where I want to pray for you today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you in everything. Lord, and even in our marriages, help us not to engage in this lightly. Um, help us not to think it's not that big of a deal. Lord, help us to realize that it is a big deal. And for people who have already gone through this difficult experience of divorce, Lord, if we have sinned, help us to be humble and repent of it. Lord, if we were um, victims of the sin of others through this process, Lord, I pray that you would bring healing in our lives, that you would give us power to forgive and to love the people who have wronged us. And Jesus, I pray that you would um, do everything for us in these times so that we can uh, bring glory and honor to your name, even in the midst of heartache, pain, and sin, that we can glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We love you today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another day. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week. If you can't be with us on campus this weekend, you can always catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcasts. See you guys next week.